Hey, all quiet listeners, Chrissy McGarry here. Our team at Second Front is gearing up for some amazing events in the coming months, and we want to see you there. Join us from August 22nd to the 24th in Austin, Texas for Fed Supernova. And then from the 12th to the 15th of September in London for DSEI. Stop by to meet the team and learn how you can help deliver capabilities for national security. See where we'll be next at secondfront.com backslash events. You won't want to miss it. You know, the military is a, a great way to get exposed to some next gen problems. You know, it's not for everybody and it certainly has all of its drawbacks, right? But uh, man, they, they really are working on some cutting edge, you know, topics and technology and they're constantly adapting. And so there's some skills there that are really helpful in an entrepreneurial space. What's up? I'm Tyler Sweat. Cue the dramatic music. This is All Quiet on the Second Front podcast where boring conversations around defense tech and national security come to die. Ready to get weird and learn some cool shit about emerging tech and the government? I thought so. Let's fucking go. This is a Soul Fire production. Get ready for Saved Rounds, the all-new, all-quiet segment with my buddy and Second Front CTO, Enrique Odi, Delivering short but intellectually sweet takes on the latest defense tech news that'll keep you informed, make you sound like the smartest nerd in the room. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining again. I am your host, Tyler Sweat, and welcome to another episode of All Quiet on the Second Front, the podcast where boring defense talk comes to die. Very excited today. Mike, I'm going to let him do his intro and talk about who he is. I will say this is a, a cool sort of full circle moment for me personally because I think five or six years ago at the West Point Entrepreneurs Conference, I think it was the first one. It was like Guy Filippelli and Bob Eisminger putting it together. And I was there as sort of like a not old grad yet, but an older grad. And I sat at a table with a bunch of like whippersnapper, real smart captains who were coming out and who were like, we're going to do cybersecurity for weapon systems. And I remember being like, golly, they're so much smarter than me. I don't understand how to do any of that. That was Mike and his gang and his co-founders at Shift5. And now here we are with shared investors running around the same market, trying to change and trying to drive a ton of value. And it is an awesome moment, I think, for us, I think for the community, and I think for the network and the alumni on sort of paving a new path into the startup community for folks transitioning out. So I'll stop there and turn it over to you to sort of let the audience know kind of who are you How'd you get here? And tell us a little bit about Shift 5. Yeah, well, Tyler, first, it's an absolute honor to be on with you. Uh, congratulations, by the way. Recent Thank promotion. Thank you. What's going on? Second Front, continuing to do amazing things and solve uh, a really important problem uh, that's been admired by a lot of uh, you know folks over the years, but is finally uh, you know being addressed by somebody. Um, oh my gosh, taking us back there to uh, the West Point Entrepreneur <laughs> Forum. I'm just so embarrassed thinking about how, uh, how much... Uh, I think I didn't know then how much I've learned since. Um, and I just hope you didn't catch me picking my nose in the corner, <laughs> you know, probably slap myself, like trying to pay attention. So, uh, it's been an incredible journey. Left the military in 2019 and co-founded a company, uh, with two exceptional, uh, co-founders, Josh Laspinosa, you know, serving in the CEO seat, uh, with me as co-founder now. We started the company really appreciating this just incredible problem that we noticed not only existed in defense, but also existed 
in uh, in the commercial space as well, in both aerospace and rail and other places too, which is, and, and again, this isn't a fear, uncertainty, or doubt kind of play. This is just spitting facts. You know, today we have a lot of really complex fleet systems. Think of the aircraft that we recently fly on, you know, military combat vehicles, whether they're in space, uh, you know, flying, you know, through the air, on the ground, sea, subsea. A lot of these modern transportation systems and weapon systems are all computer controlled. And those internal computers, they're communicating with one another on really bespoke internal architectures that we like to just slap a single label on and call operational technology. Because <laughs> it's just so different from IT, but yeah. there's no such thing as onboard intrusion detection or antivirus or really cyber protections on a lot of these platforms. And yet, those onboard computers control physical outcomes. Yeah. And so uh, appreciating this problem and, and being intimately involved in both the defensive and offensive, you know, cyber uh, capability and organizational standup of the army, uh, which is where I, I uh, dedicated all my service time and attention and energy to, uh, I wanted to fix this problem. And so I banded together with a bunch of people. We started Shift 5 to try and bring the pieces and components, software, hardware, process, the human capital and the expertise necessary to kind of offer some solutions to the market. And it's been a, an incredible journey through it all. I'm humbled. I am honored and honest. More than anything, I, I we feel really fortunate to be in the position that we're in where we're able to share this message with so many people, you know, talk about the problem and also offer some solutions. Well, I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting time. And I know, I think we've probably talked about this and I make the joke that like when we, I'll segue a little bit. Like when we we started this podcast, the goal was to take a bunch of really interesting conversations that are happening in the margins of investor days or conferences or alumni days that like we're just not getting to share with the community. I think this is a really cool example of that because you and I, Josh and I, Mitch and I, Jessica and I, we've all talked about it's a really interesting time to be looking at cybersecurity and sort of observability for platforms. And I'll say, I'll be intentionally broad around platforms because I'm, I'm sort of ambivalent. Are they autonomous? Are they manned? Are they semi they teamed, crude, whatever? I think, and I'll pivot to a pure commercial one to sort of frame this. There's a recent, and I'm going to forget where I saw it, but I know I saw it, where uh, an executive from Ford was talking about the challenge of Tesla. And the challenge of sort of that software configuration and how it was, there was, you know, custom code here, custom code here. And there was no way to like horizontally drive change at a fleet level, right? And so what we're talking about is this big disaggregation of a value chain mm -hmm. to where it's not just bend metal and then, you know, slap some sensors and stuff onto it. It's thinking about observability and that software sort of driving the decision for the form factor of the metal. As you guys are having those conversations, both commercially and government, where are you seeing sort of bright spots and what are you running into? That's such a challenge because yeah. there is a bunch of, you know, tech or procurement debt that's sort of sitting out there already. Absolutely. Well, I, I think to step back and just lay out some of the themes, right? Systems, vehicles, fleets, they're getting smarter, more computers, more connectivity, Right, and uh, and these computers now are driving physical outcomes in ways that they never have before. If you're driving a modern car, 
It's uh, it's not you as the driver behind the wheel. <laughs> like there's no cable anymore between your brake pedal and the brake calipers, right? It's data messages being interpreted by a computer. And uh, unfortunately, we've seen some examples of, of uh, tragedy where, you know, if the software gets it wrong, people go into the ground, right? And that's, that's, that's bad. So we want to get ahead of that. Um, what we're seeing is that, uh, you know, candidly, a lot of uh, industries are, especially the commercial industries, they are reacting to this. There's a data theme that we really need to unpack as well. You mentioned observability. The fundamental challenge from a security perspective is that you can't defend what you can't see. It's that simple. I think these are like basic military principles that just get beat into you, you know, but um, I, I think that this, uh, to any security professional, is it, just an axiom that we often forget to explain to a non-technical audience. Um, if you can't see yourself, if you don't have the sensors on board that are doing the data collection so that you can go back and triage a fault, whether it's mechanical, maintenance, cyber, malicious, whatever, you know, you're, you're often just left guessing like what was the cause. Uh, you, you're disadvantaged trying to solve and fix things. So if you want to get at security, you have to attack the problem of observability. That is a data conversation. And uh, we're seeing candidly a lot of, uh, you know, industries are a little bit slow to identify the association of these different concepts. And, and it makes sense. If you, let's, let's talk about a corporate structure really quick, because I think that's really important. One, if you are, uh, you know, a young company out there like ours and you're going through growth curves, uh, we, you know, we just broached 100 employees. This is a huge milestone for us. Big congrats. And we had to step back and think like, all right, hey, how are we organized? You know, how are we communicating um, internally? Um, how are we best posturing to support our mission partners? Through any growth curve, you know, you know this, you have to constantly evaluate that, that corporate structure and make sure that you have the right firm to do the things that you need to do to survive and thrive. Yeah. You know, as, as we have you know, reorganized ourselves for success and postured for massive growth, we've appreciated that the corporate structures that exist in a lot of these big companies that build the vehicles that comprise the fleets in commercial and military verticals, you know, they, they still think about data living under a CIO um, or a chief operating officer, and they think about security living under a CISO. And um, in the CISO is often focused on IT cybersecurity and doesn't touch, you know, vehicles or operational infrastructure, right? And so getting those two communities to come together and appreciate that, hey, data is the common theme and it's the new oil, so to say, that's a really important piece of the puzzle that uh, is associated with the observability theme that you have to solve. And it's almost taking that observability theme and making it relevant to the CISO, to you know, the product owner, to the BU, so they don't hear it like, oh, hey, it's a data science project, right. or hey, it's a tech project. It's like, no, hey, it's a, it's a business outcome, an operational outcome. So there's a little bit of framing in that which is going to lead me to sort of the next question is, you know, as we talk about, you know, the evolution of sort of your company. So you've got ship five sort of growing and evolving. You've got the market, like we talked about a little bit, kind of growing and evolving. And you've got the rise of, I think, more, more digitally native employees mm -hmm. and an increased demand and awareness on some of the tech savvy. You're not necessarily seeing some of that like digital savvy and digital awareness permeate the government sort of writ large. You guys are in an interesting spot as you're working across sort of all of these communities that are moving and advancing and cycling at different speeds. 
So it's this really interesting kind of desynchronization challenge where your motion isn't going to be the same here, here, and here, nor is sort of the engagement here, here, and here. So what have you learned? Oh boy. Yeah. So come, <laughs> take me back to the beginning, right? Bright-eyed, bushy-tailed co-founder. We're going to go solve this cool problem. We've got some chi whiz technology. Walk me through sort of like the market and the human complexity and what you've learned about like tactics and procedures and all of that. So, uh, well, first humility, right? A very healthy dose of that. Um, second, as everyone, um, as everyone does in this game, I, I think we underestimated the challenge, right? We were not just trying to bring new software and hardware, um, you know, to market. We were also at the same time bringing a message and effectively building a new market. There's a reason that like, uh, cybersecurity solutions for avionics on commercial aircraft don't exist today. It's really hard to do. Yep. And a lot of people didn't appreciate the problem four or five years ago when we started. And I'd like to think that we have shown some success working across all of the different centers of gravity and uh, those different pockets of conversation that you have to touch in order to gain market consensus and build a demand signal for your products and services, which is what, you know, given my team mostly the credit here, right? What we have been able to achieve collectively. So uh, what have I learned? I think I completely underappreciated how important marketing, government affairs, and policy conversations were in terms of building consensus and appreciation for a problem that we so clearly understood, but because of our privileged experiences in the military, which was pretty cool. Uh, you know, the military is a, a great way to get exposed to some next-gen problems. You know, it's not for everybody, and it certainly has all of its drawbacks, right? But, uh, man, they they really are working on some cutting-edge, you know, topics and technology, and they're constantly adapting. And so there's some skills there that are really helpful in an entrepreneurial space. So to be able to take a problem that I gained appreciation for there... I just completely underappreciated as a specific example, like, you know, how to, how to interact with media and use media appropriately and faithfully to help inform your audiences and the different constituents of this problem. Because, you know, from my view, the problem that we're trying to solve, this touches every single one of us. All of us receive goods that are, are transported via rail, right? All of us, uh, you know, take advantage of a healthy and safe aeronautic system and uh, flying community. We all benefit, I think, globally from stability and defense deterrence. And so making sure that our aircraft are safe, that our weapon systems are available and ready, and, and that readiness, you know, is not eroded in some type of cyber confidence problem, right? That's, these are, these are worth jumping up in the morning and getting after. But again, the big lesson that I learned is that, uh, you know, a, a small company like ours is not going to single-handedly solve this problem, especially on the messaging front, that you have to engage and enlist all of these different communities. And that is, uh, you know, candidly putting FaceTime in on the Hill and working with the professional staff to help inform, uh, you know, them working with senior leaders across the military to inform them and appreciate their perspectives. I think there's also a point where, and I'll go back to, as you were sort of describing hey, you know, have a really good, strong appreciation for the problem, for the significance, for the technical nature of it. I think if we take that hat off and flip it around, and whether it's Congress or it's an executive at a rail company or an aviation company or a car company, I don't wear this right. Like the security has sort of been Potemkin in nature mm -hmm. and we've allowed that to occur. 
And it's resulted in a lot of folks sort of like putting their fingers in their ears and being like, I don't want to hear this. Now, whether that is driven by liability issues and there's costs from an insurance standpoint Mm -hmm. or there's technical debt in the configuration they're currently under and there's no meaningful way for them to, you know, return value to shareholders and do the security config. I think there's a challenge where in order to improve the security of anything, and this is, I think, bigger than just shift five, you've got to get the consumers and the market to say, hey, it's, it's insecure right now, or there are vulnerabilities. And you've got to admit that it's not, it's not as good as it should be. Yep. Um, there's a lot of emotion in that. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Nobody wants to be told their baby's ugly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So how do you, how do you sell and, uh, you know, feed your employees, families and, and, you know, when you're up against that, how do you prove a negative in some cases? Um, so this is, this was a key lesson learned for us. We were founded as a a cybersecurity company focused on weapon systems. And early we appreciated that, Hey, we have a dual market, dual use opportunity and mandate mission here, right? And so now we're that. We also appreciated that in order to solve cybersecurity, we had to first address observability, provide an intrusion detection or anomaly detection system. In doing that, when you break the technical problem apart, we're literally talking about collecting all of those internal data messages going on between the different computers. And we appreciated early that, hey, there was a tremendous data play here and we had to build this incredible data infrastructure you know on edge data collection and compute how do you get the data off of all these platforms which is a lot there's a compression problem there's a data transfer problem how do you centralize it how do you transform it so it's it's uh queryable or human readable how, how do you make it consumable right we've talked about this a whole bunch how do you make it consumable yeah. to like an operational non-technical leader as well. So so here we were, we started so, trying to solve a cyber problem and yeah. ended up building a data company. Yep. And along the way, we learned the value it, through countless conversations with uh, you know, mission partners that, hey, if we were to make this work, right, we weren't gonna strictly be selling on just uh, cybersecurity or with a cybersecurity first message. That candidly, what was gonna make this work economically in the market was showing up with a data play and saying, hey, we can address maintenance, operational readiness, improve margins, improve reliability, and at the same time, improve cybersecurity. You almost get it for free. Like this is a two for one. And think about, you know, you're talking cross org, you're talking to different leaders, different groups across the company. Uh, It's a more complex message, but it's one that has been a recipe for success for us. When have you solved that? It's crucial. Yeah, if you solve if you solve observability, you know, I'm going to give you Tyler's free business idea for the day. Cause it was just like, <laughs> I'm taking notes. Yeah. Um, you solve that observability and you get, and I don't know what, right. What is like the statistically significant? What is the right sort of end to get to, but you in theory create this opportunity for specialty insurance to be doing underwriting based on Vaughn and patching management mitigation. Mm-hmm which does sort of actually, in theory, accomplish what everyone always says, but no one ever does, which is like making security strategic and bringing it into the boardroom and making it like a fiduciary concern. That would be super interesting. I I don't think that we're too far out from underwriters appreciating that the lack of a cyber detection capability you know, uh, is going to be factored into premiums for business uh, and corporate liability Definitely, Definitely. And that's, to, to the conversation we were just having about, hey, you know, 
in order to change a market, in order to, to really like disaggregate a value chain that, that's pretty in, entrenched and pretty sort of industrial age designed, you're going to have to push on different sort of aspects of the market, mm-hmm. right? There's how are we legislating and how are we thinking about regulation? There is a, hey, how are we thinking about insurance and premium and risk mitigation, right? There's costs, there's cost drivers on both of those. Um, that helped to sort of shape the market and make security a driver there. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, and and you can, you can feel for the complexity of all this. And I think that that's what I, you know, I, I just didn't know what I didn't know when we got started. I didn't appreciate that again, back to the evangelism theme yeah. and getting the message out, like the big lesson learned. Um, yeah. Who knew that I would be thinking about how underwriters view this problem and how they may or may not be communicating with policy um, and regulators and their, you know, really important and necessary relationship with OEMs and system integrators and operators, unions and trade associations. I mean, these are all part of the constellation of, uh, you know, different communities that we have to engage in if we're going to advance the security of these assets. But Again, it's all going to be done through data and it's going to be paid for with these other use cases. Well, I think that allows for objectivity, which has historically just been really elusive in security. Yeah. Um, All right. So as we start to wrap up and kind of turn the corner into the last section here, I have a structure question we ask. I ask everybody the same question. It used to be sort of what does it look like when you hang up your spurs and found a better question. Um, So you're sort of king for a day can wave a wand, you can change a thing. And I'll leave it intentionally broad, sort of about the market. What do you change and why? What do I change and why? About the market? Anything. About how people are regulating, how people are underwriting, how people are building, how people are buying, how people are communicating, all of it. What do you change? Yeah. Um, boy, that is a really, really good question. Yeah, we can reason I don't so tell anybody many. that until right now. Love that. Yeah. Um, so you, you've recently interviewed some people on this podcast that talked about the necessity to operate within the frameworks and, and with the people and processes that we have in place. If I could change any of that, what I would do is I would really encourage markets to appreciate how they can make strategic investments, especially in data and uh, in, in the application of automation and AI and where I think that many companies are underestimating the power of AI. And I think that critically, they underappreciate how data is the oil or the fuel yeah. for that. Um, I, I think that people undervalue data and they are not thinking as strategically as they can be about how they advantage themselves in uh, data collection and how that needs to be ingrained throughout in, in either an organization or like a federal agency and their, their practices, that's going to be such a transformative foundational component to modernization or acceleration of nearly any use case, I think, in the next 10 to, to 20 years. I don't want to be like an AI, you know, fanboy and say also that they're all coming for our jobs and, you know, they're going to like take over the world. But I appreciate that, you know, these algorithms are all trained on massive data sets and those that control those data sets are going to be, um, you know, empowered. You can do a lot with, you can do a lot. There's so many organizations that I see that underappreciate the value of the data that they could be collecting, but are not today. I think part of it is making it like make, data collection and make having a data strategy implement less scary. 
Yeah. Scary might not be the right word, but it, like, I think people look at it and they're like, oh, dude, that's a ton of work. And like, that's going to take a bunch of shit I don't know how to do. That's and exactly like, it. Wait, like, how do we make that, like, having good data collection, having good data hygiene, how do we make that accessible to the common organization? I think that's, that's where you guys come in. And have this tremendous opportunity. That's a switch I would ask people to like flip in their head. If I was king for a day, right. I would I would uh, instantly enable everybody to have the appreciation that the technology exists. Yeah, that a terabyte is actually not uh, a lot of data. I mean, it is, but it really isn't. Like we can collect and store that. We can process that. We 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 have the tech. Like yeah. it's here. It's you know. There. Yeah. Um, we run into so many folks. Um. You know, it, it, you name the industry, the marketplace or whatever. And uh, I think that they just don't appreciate just how much hardware and software capabilities have advanced in the last just decade and how to enable and apply that to address the problems that they are, you know, that they are passionate about jumping out uh, up in the morning and, and solving. Yeah. I love that. It's a great answer. And, Thank uh, you for walking me on there. <laughs> dude, no, it's perfect. And look, I, I couldn't be clearly I'm fanboying a little bit. I love what you guys are working on. I love the team. I love the success. So thank you for taking the time out of a busy schedule. Come spend some time with us and uh, share your journey and what you guys are working on with all our viewers. So really appreciate it, brother. Thank you, Tyler. It's a pleasure to be here. Heck yeah. End scene. All right. This is Saved Rounds. Join me, my favorite technologist, second front compatriot, Enrique Odi, as we cut through the cacophony of the news cycle and reload your arsenal to annihilate defense tech takes. Let the fun begin. So Enrique, did I talk about real quick, uh, NATO's Defense Innovation Accelerator for the North Atlantic, Diana. Uh, first pilot challenge running through August, um, looking to facilitate sort of collaboration, deep tech uh, around energy resilience, sensing and surveillance, and secure information sharing, uh, which is sort of a you know instant kind of takeaway, immediate reaction. Excited, optimistic, pessimistic, what are you thinking? Uh I'm excited. So, you know, we've been seeing this coming out of NATO for probably a couple of years now, this whole discussion about uh, NATO having an accelerator, Diana being set up, we've seen all this stuff on LinkedIn. Uh, it's exciting that it's actually real. And what's really exciting is the areas they chose. Like the fact that they are actually going to do deep tech. I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, use the term innovation theater around innovation of like, hey, let's just take apps, throw them up there. But actually driving a deep tech and NATO actually taking that initiative is actually pretty awesome. I think we're going to get some uh, really cool uh, solutions coming out of this. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll bookend your optimism with a little bit of uh, maybe cautious pessimism. I think I think one of the things that stands in the way of a lot of really interesting outcomes for things like this um, is a mix of customer, like real meaningful customer and user access. Um, and sort of not talking to some like interlocutor who's four levels removed, but like owns the problem at a staff level. And also uh, capital allocation capability and contractual capability, right? So if the accelerator finds a piece of awesome tech that solves the next huge problem, what are they actually able to do with it? Does it still go into a Diana model where it's relatively small checks? Does it end up, is there a procurement pathway or supplier schedule? That I don't really know the answer to yet. So I'm sort of waiting to see on the, the what next so it doesn't become a series of like short innovation rooms that everyone's excited to get into and then realizes they're stuck in forever. Have you seen anything else about that? Yeah, I share all those same concerns. I'm still the eternal optimist. I, I see like in the back of my head, all those things are still there about what could go wrong. Um, 
I'm a little optimistic, though, because first of all, uh, NATO also set up their innovation fund as well. So outside of, of Diana, you actually have an innovation fund where you have, I think 19 or 20 NATO nations have contributed money to help drive that that innovation of the deep tech. So I think that that right there is a uh, is a potential way that this is going to work. The other part is, as you look at the challenge, they're not just asking for people to submit as part of the challenge. They're asking for people to submit to be partners to the challenge. So now they're talking about academia, industry, big defense primes. And so I think what's going to make this work, and now you, Tyler, you and I have talked about this all the time, innovation of itself doesn't work. You have to mix it with the defense primes. There's a real need for that capability. So yeah. how is Diana going to mix these partners with these with these people that are competing in the challenge? I think that could really help. The big one that was like what you said, how do you get user feedback? Uh, that is where I think it's going to be a challenge because NATO is not known to move fast with decision-making and finding the right organizations, the right military units among the partners to actually be the, the test beds for those units, I think is going to be the biggest issue. Yeah, agree. I will, I'll end sort of with a little bit of shared optimism on, I think it, I think it sets the stage for an interesting, at least point of engagement. I won't call it a point of entry yet. I'll call it a point of engagement for U.S. software companies that are trying to better understand sort of the customer landscape across NATO writ large at both an individual country and a NATO sort of staff organizational level. I think this is a great opportunity there. So we'll leave it with a little optimism and uh, let's see what comes from it. We'll probably come back to this topic, I'm, I'm sure, in a few months. Yeah, give it six months, we'll evaluate the first cohort. That's right, that's right. Wow, look at you, you made it to the end. Thanks for listening. Hope you learned something. Don't forget to leave a passive aggressive review. It wouldn't be a podcast without some show notes. So check them out to learn more about me, Second Front. Stay weird.